this morning we have a special guest a very special guest who is now family uh i am proud to have him here but let me talk about him for a second did you know he is known as the progressive councilman for the culture (laughs) let me say this again the progressive councilman for the culture facts embodying the definition of socially interchangeable let's talk further former professor of current issues in african-american studies and introduction to women's studies at clark atlanta university retired fulton county schools resource officer certified instructor of law enforcement officers response to weapons of mass destruction by fema and the department of homeland security i could name it all there's so much to name right now it would take me all day to introduce this phenomenal man right here he is running for district 13 united states congress it is time to pass the baton i welcome the one and only welcome to the morning machine dr mark baker running for congress good morning Good morning, good brother. How are you? Oh, I am absolutely phenomenal. Uh, it is an honor and a privilege to have you this morning. Uh, I mean, just absolutely phenomenal, the stuff that you have done in the community. But from that community work, there has to be a start to everything. Let's take it all the oh, way wow. back to the old school. Okay. Let's take it to Union Square. Square. You know okay. what I'm saying? Like, so yeah. let's go back. Let's mm-hmm. start at the beginning. When you were coming up, who were the pillars of your community that you seen putting in the work, putting in the sweat equity as you were coming up? Wow. So I'm originally from the West Side. First of all, thank you yes. so much for the opportunity to be here. Absolutely. Uh, I feel at home, definitely. Yes. As we were saying before we started in, this is my area, you know, at Atlanta University Center. You know, this is where the building next door is where I did all of my studies for my master's degree in criminal justice at the Oglethorpe building. So shout out to everybody in the AUC and all of the uh, HBCU graduates and uh, current students. But my Union Square, as you would say, would, would be the <laughs> west side of Chicago. <laughs> That's where go. I'm originally from, born and raised uh, uh, right in the heart of what most people know as uh, the Holy City, yeah. uh, 16th Street, mm-hmm. Christiana, you know, uh, all the way down. You know, that's where I'm from. Shout out to the shy. Yeah, Lindale community. Uh, but yeah, um, there were so many pillars. You know, we had the amalgamation of everything, everything good and bad. You know, uh, and you know, discernment was something that, uh, you know, I was blessed with to be able to take from, you know, the good and leave a lot of the bad, and then you know, the questionable. You know, ask more questions and go further with answers. You know, after right. I got them, and you know, just, you know, just just build myself. But I can't say that uh, my foundation is. In Chicago, and you know, I can I can name all of the great people, you know, from the church community, the school community. Shouts out to uh, Mr. Lawrence, my first male teacher that we didn't get until I was, wow. you know, in like eighth grade. You know, they they normally hold the black men in education for those higher grades, according to uh, you know a mentor of mine I met at ten years old by the name of Dr. Jawanza Kunjufu. He writes in his book on countering the conspiracy to destroy black boys that, um, you know, you, you can't teach a child you don't love, you can't teach a child you don't understand, and you can't teach a child that you're afraid of, right? right. So given those tenets, they keep the black men in our educational system, especially in Chicago public schools, right. for the higher grades so that when we start getting size on us, you know, they can physically intimidate us and as opposed to loving us, understanding us, and, you know, uh, uh not being afraid of us, you know, it's not lined up for right. us, you know, like that. But uh, Mr. Lawrence was a big deal for me. Of course, my pastors in the church community, and I got, you know, I would be wrong if I didn't, you know, talk about the tenets of growth and development that uh, yeah. the West Side of Chicago, you know, uh, entrenched me in uh, love, life, loyalty, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, you know, under a six-point style of growth and development, even known at, at the past of Gangster Disciple, you know, and Larry right, Hoover, right. who's a political prisoner that we're trying to see free soon. But uh, I'm just grateful. You know, I take everything. I'm the amalgamation of everything that I've uh, I've encountered, and uh, I'm just proud to be here, 
You know, it's nothing but grace to allow me to, you know, move farthest forward. Absolutely. And so I want to I want to just kind of touch on this real quick. You spoke of Mr. Lawrence, right? Mm -hmm. So highly. What was the lasting advice that was given to you when, you know, when in coming up? Because you said you did not receive a teacher of that stature until the eighth grade. That's a long time to not see a teacher of that caliber that is really highly invested day over day, hour after hour mm-hmm. into you and right. your well-being and growth. What was the, the one piece of advice that he gave you that still resonates with you till this day? Well, he, <laughs> there's, there's not just one, but I do know the tenets of just you know, not worrying about what other people thought, you know, mm-hmm. how I could be myself, you know, because I was I was the middle kid for the most part, you know, in school. I was smart, you know, but at the same time, you know, I, I played sports too, and I had the crowd of influence that was around me that was pulling me in another direction. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was able to actually do all of the things and be a little bit of everything at the same time, but not too much of anything negative. You know, so yeah. I mean, and and it was a, a, a inter- an, an interesting time uh, growing up in Chicago because I think back then, you know, uh, the the leaders in the community, like you know, the influences of Larry Hoover, who would say, mm. "This is a transition from that, you know, what we once thought, you know, and these are the pillars that we need to stand on." Right. So I think that. Uh, I mean, I'm just blessed to come up in the cusp of a transition from, you know, being around what was once known as Gangster Disciple and now growth and development and these things to change us for the better, you know, uh, you know, by other young people of influence in our community was was very impactful to me. Absolutely. And we speak on the the impact because you stated just a moment ago. You were an athlete. What what uh, sport did you play? Man, I played everything. I played. You played everything. I played basketball, <laughs> football, floor hockey. I got out. floor hockey. <laughs> yeah, I even yeah, whatever whatever the schools allowed us to do. Whoa, I played, and you know nice. I got probably the MVP, and then I was offensive player of the year. I think in that. Nice. Um, but uh, at the same time, it was that same guy, Mr. Lawrence, was even a coach. You know, so you have you have these people, but I think that that's the dynamic with our school system. Yes. You know. Um, Again, you know, you can't teach these children if you don't, if you you know don't love them, you know, you don't understand them, and if you're afraid of them, and you know, I think many of our young people get caught up in the prison, the school to prison pipeline, and the fourth grade failure syndrome. Whereas, you know, most teachers, you know, in 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 that dynamic, my dynamic as well, mm-hmm. you know, a young black boy in Chicago being raised by old, I mean, being taught in the school by old white woman. You know, mm. you don't get more different than a young right. black boy and an old white woman, you know. And so, you know, there are a lot of things I've watched. A lot of my friends kind of slip through the cracks just by, you know, uh, a little bit of lack of self-control. But at the same time, you know, just, you know, different ways and skills of learning. And a lot of brilliant people, you know, uh, in social dynamics mm-hmm. didn't allow us to go faster and further due to, like, you know, like the dozens. I'm sure you're familiar with yeah, playing yeah, the dozens and yeah, joning, right? Yeah. So an old white uh, woman would never. If you don't never, know the dozens in living color, we'll tell you about them. But you go better ahead. believe it. So <laughs> it's like doing that. It's it's a thing where, and it's an interesting dynamic where the dozens come from. Uh, uh, the ancestor, uh, the honorable brother Dick Gregory, talked yes. about how the dozens were the kids who were deformed that would be uh, sold because of the deformity of slaves being with slaves that were probably mm-hmm. related to them. Right. And because of their features and the way that they look, they were sold less mm-hmm. of less value by the dozens. And it's amazing. Mm-hmm. That there's a lot of conceptual framework that goes along with it. But if I'm talking about you, joning or playing the dozens, right. an older white woman who's not from our culture wouldn't understand why a young black boy would say such horrible things about another kid's mother. You know, in, in, in our culture during that time, especially even sometimes now, people do those things and it's kind of rites of passage to be able to verbally volley amongst each other and it's just our culture, you know. Right. But when you're doing it in a school setting around other people, it's just like, that's not acceptable. You must fall under these 
13 criteria for special ed, which BD, LD, learning disability, behavior mm -hmm. disorder, and those criteria, mm -hmm. a lot of our young black men, still to this day, disproportionately fall into those criteria and end up in special education and it becomes a psychoacademic holocaust. We see that in so many different cities and, and states, different school systems mm -hmm. that that is going on. And I yeah. even seen, uh, we're talking about late 90s, early 2000s. I'm coming into high school and seeing this. The, usually right. the the one, the, the, the class clown is what they would normally yeah. call them, right? Yeah. Would get put into these programs as if they were, as if they had an issue. And they really don't have an issue. They're just right. trying to brighten people's day and... Yeah. And, you know, yeah. sometimes, you know, the day our school, day, when we were coming up, school days are long. long. Now, I don't know how yeah. long they yeah, are now. Right. I really don't want to know. Yeah. But I'm just saying. But by the time you get to fourth grade, the teachers are responsible for content. So they, they don't have time for you to be playing around, horse playing, joning, exactly. or, you know, trying to make your day better because now it's a reflection of them. So if right. you're a disruption, he or she has to go. And disproportionately our children are the ones that have to go exactly you we we've seen we've seen that so much coming up it's just like the most dis, dis, disruptive oh mm -hmm. i gotta put you out of my class oh i gotta put you out of my class yeah. but it's all all the time it's just it's, it's, it's us, us but, every but you time. know what though this is what makes it real bad and, and really a, a crisis yeah um and I've seen it firsthand, you know, I've experienced it through some of my friends, even back when I was in school and even working in Fulton County schools. Mm -hmm. These children, they're put in that criteria, they fall under special education. And when they're there, they have these IEPs or individualized education programs. And when you have an IEP, you only get suspended for 10 days because now your mother has signed this paperwork over mm -hmm. so that she doesn't have to be call from her job to pick you up every time you disrupt it mm. those 10 days right allow you to almost do whatever you want to do in the school they'll put you in iss yeah, in school suspension right and you know uh you got like this iep immunity mm -hmm. and why that iep immunity may exist you know with that student in particular in the school by the time you grow up as you grow up and these things happen with you the next thing you have is you're in the streets. And when you're in the streets, the police don't care if you have an IEP. They don't care if you have an exceptionality. If you don't do what you're told, you know, based off of their commands, you have situations that lead to crisis in our community like Mike Brown. You have right. and, and other situations that, that don't even make it as serious as Mike Brown, but it definitely lines them up from schools directly to prisons. Yeah, and it's so interesting you say that because, you know, and you've had years in Fulton County Schools as a resource officer. Let me ask you this, and even when I came up, we had uh, Officer J.J. Flowers as a resource officer, and a lot of times when we J.J. Flowers, big tall guy. Ball head. Yeah. Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools. Wait a minute! No, no, no. Yeah, Charlotte okay. Mecklenburg Schools. Okay. I, I, I was in Charlotte. I was okay, in, I yeah, was right. in, yeah Hold Charlotte. On. You, said you got it, champ. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he, um, he was a school resource officer at the time that I went, and mm -hmm. he really looked out for us at a time where our school had was first in black leadership at that mm -hmm. time from the principal top down. Mm -hmm. And that was our first time seeing it. And that was that school's first time seeing it now, but you still had issues behind the scenes where students, they can't go to anybody else, but the resource officer who understands have you, how many times have you experienced that? And how did that drive you to get to this point? Man, it's an understatement. Uh, several times, more times than I could count. Shout out to Tyree, shout out to Mauricio, shout out to Brandon, man. All of these people are part of my campaign. And they were once my students, you know? Wow. And they were the kids that would have a free pass to just come to me once they, you know, felt themselves, yeah, the themselves jumping policy. out. Of, yeah, listen. And I would talk to those teachers and say, look, when this kid is about to tear it up, you, and when he leaves, he's going to come straight to me. I've already talked to him. We got understanding. Before you allow it to get too bad, just go ahead and let him go. You know, you you can press the press the button and let me know, and I know he'll be in my office within the next four minutes. You know, because he knows to come straight to me. And mm. now these are my people 
who are volunteering and I've been a part of their lives. I used to open up the gym and, you know, pick them up. We like I actually had, you know, this relationship with these young kids because, you know, a lack of people available, you know, for, in our community to do that, you know. So I would step in just like in my community. I had people for that. And it's, it's it's interesting you say that because there are not a lot of kids out here who have that person to go to that can help shape and mold their lives right. to now become greater. Yeah. You've done that. Yeah. You've you've done that over the years. Now they're now they're working with you, and it's like wow, you know, like what if you weren't there? Where would they be? And it's like, wow, you see, that's where pillars of the community are made. Yeah. When you really go out there and invest your time into our youth. Yeah. yeah. Because you're shaping them and molding them to be even greater adult citizens in the near future. And that is the best thing. And how does that yeah. how does that move you? What is where does that drive well, come from? Well, it's, it's uh, um, I mean, again, you know, I grew up single-family house. You know, my mom worked three jobs. I was a latchkey kid, so I grew up a lot faster than, you know, many, you know, kids do today. So I know what's out there. I know what it's like, but, you know, it's it's just a normal, normal thing. You know, I think when you can see yourself and other people, you know, and it, it makes you, you, you realize that you're connected and you just have a duty. Absolutely, absolutely. 21 minutes, 21 minutes past the hour on the morning machine, the machine that makes your mornings move with Dr. Mark Baker. And remember, he is running for Congress, District 13, United States Congress. And by the way, for those out there who are not familiar with politics, because we are all over the world, there's not many people out there, especially in our community, that may not be familiar. They just go vote and that's it. Ah. So, what does the what, what areas does District 13 cover for Thank the people? Thank you so much for asking that. I'm, I'm running for District 13, uh, United States Congress, and it covers uh, uh, several counties in Georgia, mm-hmm. um, parts of some of them, and I think maybe all of Clayton, most of Clayton anyway. Mm-hmm. But starting with Cobb County, there's areas of Cobb County, uh, areas of Douglasville, mm-hmm. Douglas County, um, Douglas, Fayette, Fulton. Henry and Clayton. So about six different counties, nice. 100, I think 1.2 million people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm proud to say that I do live within my congressional district. Unlike other people, you know, on the ballot who don't live there, even our incumbent that's been serving for the past 20 years as our representative, wow. he doesn't live in our congressional district. Um, wow. So, I mean, but it's, you have to be edified on the law. And I think that it's something that should be changed possibly, but you know, you it's a federal office, so if people are willing to just vote for you, mm-hmm. knowing that you can't heal what you don't feel, you don't live in that area, you're not around the area, you don't know where the potholes are, you don't know where the unprofessional <laughs> where, businesses are. Where the are. plates are, too. <laughs> right. You don't know anything that's going on, so, you know, but, you know, like, it's up to us to be edified on who we go to the poll and vote for. Right. So. You know, as the only member that has ever been elected on this ballot, uh, I do live, you know, in our congressional district mm-hmm. in, in between those uh, one point out of those one point two million people, I would say. Interestingly enough, a district with one point two million people constituents to serve. Yeah. So what are the issues that the biggest issues that you've seen coming out of the district? Yeah, I think that uh, I would think that my people would say there's issues regarding on a federal level when you're thinking about health care, mm-hmm. when you think about infrastructure, when you think about transportation, all of those things. But to the everyday person that's going to vote, they're concerned about their schools. They're concerned about their kids. They're, they're concerned about income inequality. Absolutely. Um, and they're concerned about crime. So it's like, you know, a lot of those things, you know, they they all are connected. When you think of those schools, right? You know, when you're looking for an area that you want to live and, and buy a home at or either raise your family, the first thing that you think about is, okay, what are the schools like in that area? Right. You know, and, and people don't want to build business 
or, or not going to bring their businesses to your community if it's not safe. True. So economic development in those areas are dependent on how bad the crime is in those areas. So it's like all of those things work, you know, collective when it comes to the the issues in the community. Uh, I'm proud to say that there are things that I've done to address address a lot of those issues. I would like to say, uh, given that Georgia is now a blue state and we're fighting to keep it that way, yeah. um, I, I would say that I've been one of the most progressive, you know, uh, elected mis- uh, members uh, in, in our in our community, and and many of that the legislation, many of those pieces of legislation that I've passed have been things that have been infectious after I passed them in surrounding communities. So right. I'm excited about that. Well, they don't call you the progressive councilman for yeah. the culture for no reason. Right, it's right, because right. you're putting boots to the ground. I mean, first of all, for radio, you can't see, okay? My man got a whole hoodie on. Hey, I need some merch, brother. <laughs> I got you. I need some merch, brother. But uh, he, yo, he he came in here. You know, like I thought, I, I I may have thought I was overdressed a little bit. But hey, look, when you when you're talking about boots on the ground and you come real in in in, in anywhere you go, this is this is how you do it. You you can campaign however or whatever whatever style you want to, but you reach in the people. You're right, meeting right. people where so, they are. So let me be clear. I do reach the people and I meet them where they are, but I, I could turn it on a different style, you know, too. Hey. So I mean that's the point of being interchangeable though. You know, like exactly. right now it's important for me to get out in these streets. I'm knocking on doors, I'm passing out yep. literature, you know, my team is out, you know, we have our T shirts and we have our casual attire on yes. you know but the thing is you know when it comes to representing the people i represent them well too you Absolutely. know so so uh and that's the that's why yeah. i brought it up because yeah, you embody the definition of socially interchangeable and this mm-hmm. is what we're defining right now for right. the people who didn't understand what i right, said right. in as it pertains to socially interchangeable because we find ourselves in it's even in our community knowing when to turn it on and turn it off at certain points. And that is the definition, really, if you want it in layman's terms, socially interchangeable. But from his viewpoint, as he just explained, and I I didn't mean to cut off your wisdom, but I just wanted to make sure everybody understood socially interchangeable. Correct, correct. And, and, you know, that's what we mean here. Um, And that's how you really reach the people and people will see you as super personable. That's And it's like, wow, you know what I mean? Hey, you know, just want to strength. This guy gets my vote. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like that, you know, because it's not easy to meet a lot of people where they are. Why is it such an art for you? Well, it's an art for me because, you know, man, it's art for me, I would just say, because it's it's the thing that I've always done. I've never I've never acted outside of myself, you know, as we were talking about earlier, meaning, you know, during my my formative years, you know, I've always yes. been me and the thing is when you when you are yourself it's easy. It's kinda like autopilot. So, I mean, I understand that when twenty twenty hit and our young people were just tired. And fed up and took to the streets, right? Mm-hmm. All over the, all over our country, all over the world, you know. So it's like these are the people that I can't separate myself from, you know. Like I know, okay, yes, I came to Clark, you know. I went to Dillard in New Orleans for undergrad. Mm-hmm. I have these degrees. I have a PhD in African American studies, but my kids have the same issues that everybody else else's kids will have, you know. I'm viewed the same way when I'm driving in my car or when I'm wearing my hoodie that you are, you know, that Trayvon was. So it's like I have to let them see me like this so they can know that if you can respect me because you know who I am, you can respect them, and that should be extended, you know. It's yes. the same thing. Yes. It's like when Jay-Z said, I went on MTV with Durags. I made them love you. <laughs> you know, like yes, sir. it's the same thing. It's like, look, you yes. know, you love me, you can love my people. Exactly. Right. In the same, in, in the same fashion, you know, and it's and it's not hard to do. And you know, it's it's so interesting that you say that because 
as you love the people, not just in your district, but all over, you know, you have you have a major opportunity to not just change your district, but change even the surrounding districts as well, because you you hold the key to the piece of that pie that's going to change this nation. Right, right. Understand you are in prime position to do that right now. How do you feel about doing that? Not just from a district wide, but you're going to be in United. I'm, I'm speaking it into existence. No, 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 no keep going. I'm going not stopping be, you. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you for not stopping me. Definitely. Not. I, it, you know, we got to get M and M's. You know, you got to marinate and manifest. You got to get a pack yeah. of M and M's these days, right? You know. So, under your leadership, you have the opportunity, a major opportunity, to change the nation. How do you feel about being afforded that opportunity? Man. Just the thought of that. I'm, I'm, I'm humbled because I never thought that I would be here. This is nothing that I foreseen, you know, myself being involved in. This is one of those things. I, I became an elected official really by chance, by happenstance, I would say. I, was, I went to uh, the church after we became, you know, a city, and I sat down and I watched all of these people. You know, before us, they had their log, their their, their taglines, and their, you know, everything that they were gonna do, their platforms, and we were just listening, and I was just waiting to see, you know, the person who would represent me, and uh, you know, respectfully, it was just one person, while there were at least five for every other, you know, local district, and you know, our mayor, shouts out to uh, Mayor Khalid in South Fulton, mm-hmm. he was then, you know, there running for city council. And he became the first District 6 city councilman. But mm-hmm. uh, he talked about those Black Lives Matter uh, uh, protests and how they right. shut down the interstate. And I was like, I was around there, you know. And I was, right, it, you know, this was right. this was the type of energy that, you know, would make young people want to be a part of, you know, what's going on. And mm-hmm. I didn't see that up there for, for me. And, you know, once the forum was over, the moderator said, "If there's anybody else in the audience that's interested, that's interested, you know, you know, here's your time. I'll give you your minute and thirty seconds because qualified hasn't started yet, and you know, it only pays thirteen thousand five hundred dollars. So if you're interested, you know, here's your chance. Come on." She was like, "Count down, mm-hmm. three, two, one, going once, going twice," and I just was like, "You." <laughs> and I jumped up <laughs> and, you know, I gave my little elevator speech, you know, talked nice. about how, you know, I worked in the AUC. I was sergeant of the police department a million years ago. And, uh, you know, I retired from food and schools. And now, you know, I talked about my organizations. And it's crazy because campaigns are really a racket. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, you know, all you need is a couple people to, to, to and you can accomplish anything. Yeah. And it's like the biggest thing is you have all of these people paying all of this money. And I fell victim to it a little bit, you know. Um, they heard my organizations. They knew that I was a member of Kappa Alpha Psi. They knew I was a member of Prince Hall Masons. They knew that I had this background, you know, uh, in public service. And they knew that I could ultimately have these individuals who would contribute. And they just saw dollar signs based off those organizations. Mm. And uh, I lost a lot of money. But, you know, I learned from that experience and I did win my election and the runoff, you know, as a result. And, you know, I realized by being in office that you can really change. Like I set up for like two months just really paying attention, because if I'm being radically honest, I never attended a council meeting until I was a council person. Mm. So, I mean, I I watched everything. I saw how it went and I realized all we got to do is really sit down with an attorney and dictate the issues and we can make it a law. Right. And I was like, okay, I'm on green. Let's get busy. So and, so yeah. you saw it from one so you saw it from one side. You hadn't attended the meeting, but you saw a little bit from one side and then you just all of a sudden now you're on the other side and it's like, Oh Well, I never digested it though. It was like we saw it, but you know, when you think politics you think, you know, suits in D C. Yeah, I never right, thought right, about right. the local people that can actually change, you know, our everyday lives and here I am fortunate enough to be in this situation. You know, I'm here and I'm like, okay, so let's revisit everything that my people have told me that they've had issues with. You know, someone, for example, I legalized, you know, well, decriminalized cannabis, which was real, real taboo, 
you know, with the older people, especially the people who vote and elected me in office. But I realized, too, that I had to explain to them and show them why it was something that needed to be done right up the street from where we are. On mm -hmm. Rice Street, 90% of the people who are in there have less, uh, they look like me and you, and because they don't have, they have less than an ounce of cannabis on them and they could go to jail for up to, you know, six months to a year because they don't have the $1,000 to get out or whatever the fine is, mm. you know, and it's like, that's yeah, economic. Yeah, yeah, which means we need to work on decriminalizing cannabis and we right. need to work on decriminalizing poverty, you know, because the economic mm. castration that cuts us off once we're locked up from six to six months to a year, you know, you have to sit down and now you have to explain this stuff on your applications. Right. So now, I mean, which was, you know, happens since one of the kids I, I, I mentioned earlier, Brandon, Brandon Mann. Shout out to Brandon Mann, one of my good guys and volunteers right now. Uh, Brandon did five years in prison. He did five years in prison. He was one of my kids, like, you know, at the yeah, schools. That's right. But he did those five years in prison, uh, came home and couldn't find a job. He got on track. He got his college degree. Yes. And it was nothing. I took him to his graduation. And when we came back to South Fulton, the only job he could find was at a Waffle House. And so it's like due to those boxes, those little check boxes, yeah. you know, that ask you, have you, that have you ever asked, you know, have you ever been, you know, convicted of a felony or been arrested? Like Those are the boxes. So I ended up banning the box, you know, because of people mm. like Brandon. But I also have to make those education campaigns important because the seniors who didn't understand, like, I don't want to have to smell all these reefers, you know, as <laughs> grandma say. But it's like, the point of it is, you, these are your, your kids, these are your, your nephews, uh -huh. you know, these are our uncles, these are the people that are locked up on Rice Street because yeah. they don't have the money to get out of jail, you know, for that. And what's, what's happening now, we're watching on the West Coast and, you know, 18 out of, uh, I think, 50 of the states have already legalized recreational yeah. cannabis. Jer Jersey so, being recent, very recent. Yeah, and, and, and if you look towards these November ballots, it's going to be more. That's almost half of our country have legalized this. And then you have people sitting down because they had this. And if you have these records, they're making it so, like, by law, you can't take part in the legal business because of your history. Exactly. So that's long-term yep. economic castration, and that's right. aimed at you and me, you know, and our yes. brothers and sisters. So we have to actually, you know, be vigilant when it comes to making these laws and progressive and thinking about the other people. You know, like, I'm running as a Democrat, and I'm probably as independent as you can come as an individual, but, you know, there's also nothing in our country that I would want to fight as a black male in America to conserve. So I can't necessarily say I could be a part of a conservative party because to conserve means to keep the same. You follow me? Yeah. So it's like, I can't rock that party, but I will go to the party that plays the music that I can listen to, you know, which is, you like know, analogy, more man. than anything that the, the democratic party now, but we have some kinks that we need to work out too when it comes to our people being the mistresses to this party because mm. you know I'm still waiting on Joe Biden to, to clear out this student loan debt you know and these I things that are, so, are yeah I mean it. come on so it's so many things that have you know affected us and impacted us and we were promised that you know I can't wait to become a member of the United States House of Representatives to yes. step to our beef on because you know we we voted and we expect the changes that you said that you would bring and it's time to hold a, hold our uh, elected officials accountable and you and you know it's so interesting um speaking of the people um people have come to you with the issues that's going on in their respective communities you've seen the issues that have gone on in these respective communities and now the question remains at 38 minutes past the hour worldwide by the way on the morning machine with dr mark baker running for United States Congress District 13. And that district we're speaking of, there's people in it that are dealing with a lot of things from home life to personal life to right. work life and and just even labor, labor relations. Now, question here is, under your leadership, what are some initiatives that you have in mind that, that could be put in place to really strengthen the district and the districts around them. Well, it's about actually uh, political education, I believe. 
Mm-hmm. I think that the average person who goes and who will go hopefully and vote Mark Baker, U.S. House of Representatives uh, on May 24th or early voting that actually ends on the 20th, which is this kind of this coming Friday. Mm-hmm. I think that um, political education is key. You have to, most people don't know who they're going to vote for and what elected officials are to help to be held accountable for what, you know, uh, you have state roads and that would be, you know, our state reps, you have, mm-hmm. you know, our local government is responsible for certain things, but it's important that we outside of the time that it is to vote for us, mm-hmm. that we edify our public. And then we can find out where our resources are coming from and prop properly go to them with our issues and probably allocate the resources and, and, and help those municipalities and counties that need what, whatever it is that they need. Mm-hmm. I know that, uh, as I was saying earlier, we hear about the transportation infrastructure dollars and things of that nature. Right. But the dynamics that we're in that that, that are in play with a lot of our families are school dynamics, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, job dynamics, you know, uh, uh, fatherlessness, homelessness. All of these things mm. are, are are things that are directly impact us. But the resources are here, and they're federal. Uh, opportunities and resources available, but we have to learn how to meet the people with the needs and let them know that they're available. Right. And that's something that we've always dropped the ball on. And people are just don't know who to be mad at and don't know yeah, who yeah, to yeah. direct, you know, what to. That's what makes scapegoats out of certain issues. Right, right. Yeah. But see, the thing is, so I understand that better than many because I've served as an elected local official for the mm-hmm. past five years. Right. And so when people say they want jobs, it's like, how do you get jobs and how do we assist it? When people have issues at schools, they don't know that Fulton County Schools has its own body of elected officials. Yeah, Just because right. you live in my city and your school is in my city, I don't govern the school system. Right. You know, that's mm-hmm. Fulton County Schools that runs that. It's like I can't that. boss them around. I can't. You know we're, we're, yeah. yeah, so it's, it's not like we're supervisors and things of that right. over the schools. But, you know, we can meet the people where they are and make sure that we do the best we can. You know, like when I found out about the joblessness situation and everybody mm-hmm. talked about the most dense area in our city, which is the old national corridor, you know, mm-hmm. outside of uh, starting the development authority, the DA, I'm actually the chairman of it after I wrote the legislation and was appointed by council. Uh, mm-hmm. Also for the URA, which is the urban redevelopment authority. I founded that uh, and activated that in our city. Nice. And I got $17 million for, you know, uh, redeveloping you know areas in our municipality that covers over 107 square miles so mm-hmm. fast forwarding as the chairman of the development authority right in that densely populated area mm-hmm. old national um we just did the ribbon cutting on uh a major 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 project on may 6th friday mm-hmm. before last uh for mansa park a young man well he, a young man by the name of jeffrey butler came from you know carolina well came from california to purchased the property where his ancestors were enslaved in South Fulton, wow. near the Cedar Grove area, District 4. And uh, we connected ultimately mm-hmm. as the chairman of the Development Authority. Uh, I worked with the city. They deeded us 74 acres of, pro- of parkland mm-hmm. uh, to build a Hyatt Hotel. Nice. Three years later, working with uh, Mr. Butler, not only do we have a Hyatt Hotel coming, we have a Hilton, a Hard Rock, another hotel and you know 12 uh 25 story buildings contracting over 10,000 jobs just out of that one project and we wow. did the uh groundbreaking on that 2 weeks ago so this one project that's in the heart of district 13 where I'm running yes. is something that I've been able to spearhead but it's just an example that I you know to attest to the fact that I understand I inwardly digest what's going on in the area and outside of again the deliverables that every person in the United States Congress can come home and say, Hey, we got X amount of million dollars for our districts. You know, this is what everybody's able to come home and say, but the thing is you have to be boots on the ground and understand what's going on with the people in the counties and the the surrounding municipalities to know how to probably, you know, get the funds and the resources to them in order for them to go faster and further. And speaking of that project, um, that that is quite an economic development right there. You're talking about a multitude, not just one 25 story building, but you're talking about a 12. multitude, yeah. 12, 12 of them. Yeah. Now, here's what comes out of that. Right. So the issue was to bring jobs. Right. 
Yes. Jobs over job fairs, too. Correct. Now, 12, 25-story buildings. That's office space on top of office space. That's 12 times the office space than you had in that spot to begin with. Yeah. Which brings now not only black-owned and operated businesses some much-needed office space to be in their community and deeply rooted, but also in the same token, you you afford them the opportunity to offer jobs to our community and give back. And this is something that you spearheaded. This is, you've got boots on the ground. Mm-hmm. You were you were getting it done. Now it's done. Now we're laying the foundation. And and, and even more important, uh, something that, you know, you know, our twin city that we call Atlanta, you know, because South <laughs> Fulton is 107 <laughs> square miles. Atlanta is 132. So we are the fifth largest city in the whole state of Georgia out of the 535 municipalities in the right, state of Georgia. Right. We are the fifth largest city. And so um, it's one of those things where we watched, you know, the late great Maynard Jackson. I'm endorsed by his uh, uh, former wife, uh, Bunny Jackson. Uh, mm-hmm. Shout out to Bunny, Bunny Jackson, who I yes. did the green light think tank with. And we did a lot of work. Uh, to try to make, bring businesses to to black banks uh, yes. when I first was elected. Uh, and, and Bunny Jackson has endorsed me, and she's one that's saying it's time to pass the baton. But she also has had several conversations with me about Maynard Jackson and how it was vital to him and important to him that uh, people who are typically excluded, people who look like us, yeah, basically. Uh, should have an opportunity to have a seat at the table. We have a $2.5 billion project coming to Old National. And in that contract, uh, this developer who is African-American is contractually obligated to extend you know, opportunities to individuals who are typically excluded. So I'm yes. proud to say that. And you know that's a part of his contract as well. That is absolutely awesome. I mean, you know, like I said, it's it's even beyond the scope of getting it done. It's bigger than you. This is for the people. Yes, you're doing. Yes. You, you know, take you take you out of it. You you you're the voice. Yes, but even if you take you out of it, this is getting done for the people. The people are you know getting their voices heard. They're seeing groundwork laid. They're seeing foundations being poured right. because you can't you you can't build up without a foundation to start. And that foundation started from vision. Yeah. Visionaries like yourself that get it done. When the people speak, you listen and deliver. And see, we we see a lot in politics where there's a lot spoken but not delivered. Where is it? Where where do do you set that bar? Where you challenge the you know other congressmen and congresswomen to do the same for their people just as you are doing that's that's a great 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 question and i I appreciate that question because that's what i plan on doing i want to be the first like me i want to be the first like one and only i want to be the first like me that's willing to go there you know and and represent my people in an unapologetic fashion not not saying that there's none and there's nobody that does it but there are only 59 people who look like me in the United States Congress, and that mm. includes the Senate and the House Re- House of Representatives. Combined, know, wow! Combined, fifty nine out of five hundred. Again, that same wow. number. Ironically, five hundred and thirty five members of Congress. There's only fifty nine that are black, and Yeesh. so uh, and hmm, and <laughs> I, I know how to be radically honest. So I want I, I would say fifty eight point five if I have to include Tim Scott in the Senate. Uh, but if, <laughs> out of those fifty eight point five, uh, what's fun, what's funny? You all right? You good? I'm good. I, said, I mean, I come on. You, I, I, you, you asked no, me. I love the transparency. Do you want me, you want me to just be radically honest Please or not? Please do. All right. We, we are on worldwide radio. I know. Please. Right. And so I look forward to meeting that brother, you know, and yes. giving him a firm handshake. And let it was him know. just the, your delivery was hilarious, though, when you well, said it. But, but it's, it's true. Right. Right. But see, the thing is, we have to, those people don't expect us to try to act like them. We right. have to be who we are. And represent where we come from and the needs and the resources that our people need and let them know that they like we don't need to try to act like them and be like them and form ourselves like them. Like we're elected by our people to represent them. And I just feel like more of that needs to happen. And a lot of conversations that are that have been taboo over the past, you know, 20 plus years 
are no longer taboo in our community. Mm -hmm. They're no longer taboo at our dinner table. So why should we, you know, be afraid to bring these conversations to fruition in the United States Congress? I.e., you know, when Breonna's law was passed, I was the first person in the state of Georgia to end no-knock warrants under Breonna Taylor law. Like, that was something that happened right around the corner from where we are right now uh, about 10 or 11 years ago with our sister Catherine, Catherine Johnston, 92-year-old lady, pulled out her gun and shot back at the police. And, you know, they tried to reframe it and, and, and lie as if, like, you know, this wasn't a botched no-knock warrant. Chairman Fred Hampton, up the street from where I grew up in in Chicago, yeah. was killed, you know, due to a no-knock warrant. Uh, Baby Boo Boo in Habersham County, a hand flash grenade, you know, thrown into his his playpen you know it mm. like this is stuff that should have been ended a long time ago right. and um i mean it's it's really you know not that great that south fulton is the only city out of 535 in the state of georgia to actually end no knock warrants through my legislation mm. same thing when it comes to me being the first and only person to abolish columbus day in place of indigenous people day That's this right. all of this stuff should be federally mandated and I want to make all of that infectious, just like I'm the first person in the state of Georgia to write a reparations legislation. Mm, Another taboo conversation. Exactly. But, you know, again, these are the third in the third in the nation, which means, you know, second to my sister, Robin Ruth Simmons. Shout out to Robin Ruth Simmons in Evanston, Illinois, who wrote the first and uh, the brother in Asheville, North Carolina, who wrote mm-hmm. the second. But right. these things need to become infectious. Exactly. And if we are hired and or elected to work and serve these people, these conversations, they need to take place in D.C. And yeah. I, I have a structural, functional uh, start to what that reparations legislation could look like on a federal level outside of what we're doing locally because it's time for something like that i can give you details if you want <laughs> you know but but i i mean i don't want to go you know i don't know how much time i mean no just only okay i just share just Real a little quick, bit yeah, of it yeah. so i believe that we should have internal and external reparations you know and, mm. and, and i also don't believe that reparations are just a check that should be cut for me right now because i'm alive and i'm asking for it because reparations is i'm who am i to be you know, or, or, or to exist right now during this time and say everything that happened over 400 years, I should receive reparations for. Reparations should be for past generations, uh, the present, as well as the future generations. Yeah, so yeah, that's a check that's written would not be enough. I'm not saying that people shouldn't get a check, but I would defer to Encobra and other people uh, who are uh, 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 well-versed and uh, uh, read and, and, and been working on the front lines for reparations for years, but I do feel strongly that the external reparations, outs- uh, the internal reparations should be uh, free mental health care for African descendants mm-hmm. of chattel slavery. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe that the external should be that because slavery was unearned income, mm-hmm. where they would send at least, you know, we see all of the movies where so many people in all these plantations, the average person may have owned two. Right you know, two enslaved individuals that they mm-hmm. would send out and those people would actually come back and that's unearned income. Two. Because wow. the two people, the mm-hmm. husband and wife probably never left and they went to send them off to go work on somebody else's plantation. Right. But right, right. the bottom line is that's unearned income. As well as federal income tax, which means I believe that we should be exempt from federal income tax for a substantial amount of time in order to build generational wealth, you know, in order to make make do or uh, repair what has been broken when it comes to Mm. redlining and the effects of, you know, our white counterparts being able to pass down home ownership to generations and generations. I think that Mm. that's a starting point. Yes. Absent the check. Like if we can get these things going, if you bring it home. $15, $15, which is a minimum wage, not even a livable wage, but a minimum right. wage. You know, if you're bringing that home, all of it home or more mm-hmm. of it home, it'll make more of us want to even be involved in, you know, stimulating our economy in legal work. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, I don't think that the average kid wants to go and just sell weed illegally on the corner. That just shows that they want to work and they want to provide. Right. And they just need to have the opportunity and the resources to do that. Absolutely. And but these are the conversations that I'm willing to step to our beef with, you know, yes. uh, on a federal level. And, and you know, it's interesting. And you you brought up the fact that they want to they want to work and, you know, they want to really get in the business world, a, even at a young age. But at a young age, I also seen something 
the crown act mm. because we have so many different hairstyles from yeah. from braids to you know we had waves and our hair you know mm, what I'm saying locks but locks I love locks you know what I mean we're not gonna have to stop calling them dreadlocks right exactly. you know that's a negative connotation that goes along with it but the love locks still like and I'm proud to have passed the crown act yes. you know first I did it within our city I mean directly you know in our city uh, uh, for the people who were employed and then you know the very next uh, next next session i was able to do it for all of the businesses in south fulton so we passed the crown act to end you know discriminatory practices yes. uh, in the workplace when it comes to natural hair yeah because you know our hair doesn't it doesn't shape us as a person it gives us a look we right. want to look good you know what i mean but right. you know you you can't just discriminate against people that have those certain hairstyles so what you're saying is so what you're saying hey you know we got to come to work with one hairstyle oh well everybody's going to look the same can't we be different are we allowed to be different and but we find ourselves yep guess what our community yet again discriminated by the hairstyles that we wear so we can't have locks and be professional and come to work and that's why this crown act is so important especially for our sisters out there because they have so many different hairstyles yeah. that they come into yeah. work with they're just trying to look good and look presentable you know Correct. what i mean and that doesn't take away from the professionalism that they have, which is why this crown act is so important. And I, I strongly like, I, I thank you for doing that because yeah. there are a lot of, there's a lot of brothers and sisters out here who are deeply professional. They have management experience. They, they own businesses, but you're discriminating yeah. it, against their it's hairstyle. It's a shame that, like, you know, we we're almost, uh, how many years? I don't know, 40, 50, 50 plus, almost 60 years past Martin Luther King telling people to judge us based off the content of our character. character. You yep. know, and we're and this is an example of us fighting things that we shouldn't even be fighting for anymore. Our fight should be past this, but, you know, it's, exactly. it's not, unfortunately, and it seems in some places we, we are actually operating in reverse, so... Yeah, that's tough. Any final thoughts that you want the people to know regarding the election and what you are bringing to the table moving forward as as you move into the U.S. House of Representatives? What do you what further do you want the people to know as part of your final thoughts? What's 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 vital is I know we've gone to the poll and we've elected uh, and I have no problem saying his name now. Uh, the incumbent David Scott. He's been there since 1975. Sheesh. We're not in in Congress, but he's been in public office serving our our community since 1975. From 1975 to 1983, he served in the House of Representatives in mm -hmm. the State House, and from 1983 to 2003, he served in the State Senate. From 2003 to now, mm -hmm. he's in Congress, right? And he's been serving the people of district 13 while not even living there. The thing is mm. we have brilliance in our district, right. you know, and I believe that our leader or the person who represents us should live in our district. That's I'm true. that person. Uh, outside of that, you know, after service of 47 years, mm -hmm. you know, it's easy to say it's time to pass the baton, but you mm. know, because it's not addressing the things that, are evident, you know, in him as well. And I have no problem saying it. You mm -hmm. know, he's, he's slowed down tremendously. And over the past couple of terms, you know, even the job fairs that he was known for mm -hmm. have slowed down. But I'm not bringing job fairs, but jobs. Right, Like, right. I've actually done that within the past four years. Exactly. Bringing jobs, over 10,000 to our district, you know, yep. outside of the job fairs that I still be, would welcome and I would still would do, I as well as the health more, fairs. I to be honest with you. Yeah. I actually think more than the number you just gave. Well, see, you, the reality of it is, I said that's the number that's, that's contractually obligated by mm -hmm, the developer. Yep. He wanted me to say 40000 because he understands that those 12 20-story buildings are going to have uh, several offices per floor. Exactly. It's going to be a mall yep. and all of these other, you know, the museums that are coming. But, I mean, he the, the conservative deliver, deliverable will... Uh, will suffice, you know, but I guess what I'm saying is I'm up against this guy who's been here that I respect, but he's ailing. Yeah. He's yeah. ailing. And you know, it's time to pass the baton, which is not something that's disrespectful. If you're looking at it from a race standpoint, mm -hmm. if there's a runner who's running and has done a tremendous job or this work, you know, and ran. Yeah. Once he's 
kind of slowing down. He passes the baton once he's done right. so much to Retire. the next to go faster and further. And we watch this every time when you're looking at a movie. It might be a white executive who stands up in front of his board of whatever company it may be, and he says, "You know what? I'm going to step down from the day-to-day operations. My son or my son-in-law or my daughter, they're going to." handle the day-to-day i might retain my seat on the board but they're going to handle the day-to-day operations but our community we're not willing to do that black people you got the pride of baton from our hands sometimes and i'm sorry you said i could be radically honest right so i guess i guess what i'm saying is this is just where we are right now I live in District 13. Yes, I purchased and lived in two homes in District 13. Mm-hmm. I know what's going on in District 13. I should serve District 13 if I'm the only person with experience that lives in District 13 for this United States Congress position. And after 47 years, and you know, it's time to go faster and further. You know, it's it, the one thing that you know to, to take from all of this to all of our listeners out there. It's very important to know not just know your district, but live in it because you know who your neighbors are Correct. and you know the needs of the neighbors specifically. When you know that you thrive yeah. a lot better and a lot faster. And when you also the know the shortcomings of certain areas too, you yes. know, you know what resources they need and how to properly allocate them or work with those, you know, uh, state and local uh, officials mm-hmm. to bring them prosperity as well. So Absolutely. if you're, if you're away and you're, you're detached from it, you know, you're just giving, you know, politics as usual. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man. Wow. Dr. Mark, Baker, uh, let me tell you something. It's been an honor and a privilege to have this conversation with you. I mean, I know time gets the best of us, man. Um, But I want to have you do the honor of telling everybody where they can find you, follow you, visit your website, and get involved, most importantly. Well, well, real short, election is one day, one week from today. Exactly. May 24th. Please vote Mark Baker House of Representatives uh, on the ballot uh, for District 13. I can be found on Facebook for Baker, the number four Congress dot com and uh, on Instagram at Councilman Mark. Um, You can reach out directly to me uh, on those platforms. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm available. I'm accessible. But more than anything, I need some volunteers. You know, if anybody's under the sound of my voice and they're willing to volunteer, please reach out to me at Councilman Mark or go to Baker, the number four Congress dot com, which is my website. Again, Baker, the number four Congress dot com. I'm not asking for a lot of money either, you know, because I don't want to owe a lot of people no favors and I don't play that game. So I'm asking for twenty two dollars. If you can go to Baker, the number four Congress dot com. And just donate $22 so I can make sure that we have enough literature, we have enough stuff out. You know, right now, yesterday I found out that I'm just 10% behind the incumbent. Early voting came out. He's at 49, I'm at 39, somebody's at 9, and somebody's at 2. So if he doesn't get 51% of this vote, you know, you might be hearing the sound of the voice of the next congressperson because we would be going to a runoff. So I need you to come out as well on May 22nd, this coming Sunday. Uh, to the GICC, the Georgia International Convention Center yeah, in College right. Park. I have a sneaker ball. It's oh, only man. $22 to attend. we just look looking for people to come out. We're having a South Side takeover. And, uh, you know, this is what we're trying to do to go faster and further and get some younger people incited and excited about coming out to vote. Mark Baker, District uh, 13, House of Representatives. Man, put a stamp on that a sneaker ball sneaker ball so you get to bring them out bring them sneaks out bring them sneaks out on sunday let's go hey listen dr mark baker thank you so much for being on the morning machine you'll be back though you're home no doubt you are home absolutely thank you so much for having me good brother hey no problem at all like i said you home you are home with us and anytime you need to talk about something come back through we got you and uh once again thank you to everybody listening worldwide out there in radio land we appreciate you tuning in tomorrow actually interestingly enough he talked about decrim marijuana tomorrow it's wake and bake wednesday with dr rashawn hodge md a morehouse oh that's my brother he was on my brother so let me just say this real quick so 
Rashawn was one of the panelists. Uh, I have a piece of uh, legislation on the ballot right now, not on the ballot, but in city council, which was uh -huh. my last because I had to step down from city council to run for this office. But they haven't voted on it until next week, the 25th. Rashawn Hodges, shout out to Gip Goody, shout out to Marcus Coleman, yes. and uh, all of the uh, people who attended the panel for legalizing or my legislation, if it passes next week, will have it that South Fulton will be the first municipality in this region to pardon less than an ounce of uh, cannabis if you receive a summons. So nice. by law, we can't legalize it. But as a municipality, we have a right to to make that a pardon. So these are the loopholes that I work with the attorneys to try to figure out a way to stop, you know, crippling our community until, you know, the appetite is right. But this is more so a nod to the state of Georgia to say that there is an appetite and we need to go faster and further when we're looking at the things that uh, impact our community. And we should not be hesitant. Doc is going to be amazing tomorrow because he was amazing every time I sat with him. And that's why I invited him to be on my panel, because. What's going on right now in our communities regarding cannabis is crippling our communities because if you go to the West Coast, all of these uh, uh, millions of dollars are going to their schools and are, are, are going to their community mm -hmm. because of this. And Georgia does not have to always be the last to the party. Mm, this ought to be a good Wake and Bake Wednesday tomorrow. And uh, uh, Dr. Mark, I, I invite you to listen in tomorrow because I will be uh, mentioning to Doc uh, that you were here today. And, uh, you know, I, he's going to be like, oh, yeah, that's my man. You know what I'm saying? So that just, works, no that's going to be that's going to be great. That's going to be great to start off the conversation.